So today on the show, we really boiled down what it takes to be successful in the multifamily business. Because a lot of people, some people have resources, they have, uh, they have a great experience, they have money, they have a great attitude, and really fundamentally, what does it take to be successful, especially when maybe the odds are stacked against you? And today's guest is really like that. Kylie McMahon really had a really rough childhood. She was abused by her stepfather. She uh, did uh, various different kinds of odds, jobs, and bartending, and, and things of that nature. And her journey getting to where she is today, which is a full-time multifamily syndicator, is absolutely fascinating because not only was she dealing with extraordinary circumstances... But her mindset was really, I would say, by her own mission, kind of messed up, had unbelievable limiting beliefs. And we talk more about that, like before she even got into the multifamily stuff than anything else. And I think that's what holds so many people back is a lot of mindset issues, a lot of limiting beliefs from their experiences, their upbringing or beliefs in the world. And so if you're suffering with from some kind of limiting belief or maybe even a circumstantial setback or challenge right now, this real episode is with you. We're going to get really deep on what it takes to overcome limiting beliefs and some of the disciplines that she's developed that has made her the success that she is today because she calls herself the apartment queen. So let's get right into the episode. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Block. So let's get an interview with Kylie. Here's a quick introduction. Kylie, as I said, had a, a pretty rough past, and she decided that she's going to get into real estate. And like so many people, they got into single-family house investing. She took one more step. She became an agent, got really good at selling houses, transitioned over to the investing side, flipped houses, and discovered that, my gosh, it would really be nice to be able to scale this and add a zero or two after everything as well. And since then, not only is she a full-time syndicator now, but she's got a co-host. She's on a radio show. She's got a, a podcast. And uh, my gosh, she's really, her mission really is to help especially women start investing in real estate, both passively and actively. So an unbelievable success story. Lots of lessons learned in this episode. Let's get right into here with Kaylee McMahon. Hey, Kaylee, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Michael. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to getting to your story because you have done so many cool things uh, in your life leading up to now full-time syndication. And so I want to get into your story because it's really interesting. And I know a little bit about something, but uh, people watching and listening to us don't yet. Ha, we're going to change that. So give us a little background on kind of you know where you came from, what you've done leading up to this point. And you got uh, uh, 60 seconds. Okay. Nah, I'm just kidding. You got a little more than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> give us a little background on yourself. So I started in many other different industries, ended up funding a business that I started using real estate as an agent or real estate funds from being an agent. And then I uh, was like, Hey, I want to flip a house. So I did. And it was the worst thing ever. Really, my brain is like super high speed. And I think that, you know, if someone gives you an outline of what you should do, you should do it if you're getting paid. So I don't know why that's not the case, but with a single family, at least with that being the case, when you're not able to get someone in there, you're at a hundred percent vacancy that and some other things were like, you know, just a deal breaker wasn't wasn't good for me. So then I met a few people that were doing a lot of other things in real estate. And, you know, from house flipping, note buying, apartment uh, sub twos, wraps, I mean, all kinds of different vehicles for investment, the apartments really caught my attention because it was just doing what I was doing with the houses, but adding a zero or two to everything. So economies of scale made sense. So that's essentially the, the timeline. 
Well, that was really super short. Uh, uh, Kaylee, do you suffer from shiny objectitis? Or maybe you used to? Because I used to. You know what? I don't know if that's what it is. What it is, is it's a gift that I have as a person that no longer is on ADHD medication. So they want on meds to control you and make you focus, focus, focus. But if you're focusing on the wrong thing, it's a waste of everybody's time. So really just figuring out, you know, what I was good at and where my skills and strengths were, and then trying to figure out where that would apply best to. So it's a people business is where I belong. And then also realizing that once I am a quick learner, so these things like, you know, running a great comparative market analysis on a house and being able to close someone in 20 days, every time I have a client or when I did, I first actually started um, in Texas, you have to be a licensed real estate agent to be able to help place people into apartments, which is weird, but you do here. So it's called a locator or apartment locator. So I started there. And so I got with an assistant up to about 10 to 15 closings of those types of deals a month. And then I just got bored because I was like, I did it. And I don't want to do this forever. You know, I figured out how to be the number one rep there. Like I'm moving on, you know, there's got to be something else that I can conquer. And then once I got into homes, for me, it was just not a good fit personally, because for me, again, I like systems. I like following systems. And when people are calling you at 6am about the mortgage or the loan, you're going, that's not me. Like I find you the property, call him at 9am when his office opens, because that's not me. But, um, and I don't want to be rude to people. I just don't like handholding people. I don't. I think that I want to work with people that are intelligent enough to figure out and know what they want and then come to me as the expert and then we can work together. So I found that single family sales or retail was not a place that I enjoyed being there. And then I got into doing my own thing with the house flipping and it was probably ruined by the fact that I partnered with somebody who had done like a hundred flips a year. I mean, they do a ton, but it's in a community that's not like a central city like Dallas, for example, that has a ton of codes they require just very specific, they're very strict with their codes. So uh, in this community, they're not as strict yet. And so he would cut corners. And that resulted in me going, wait a sec, aren't we supposed to do this and this and this? And they're like, no, it's not a big deal here. But on the end of it, as far as selling it or quality for the band buyer or liability purposes or all these other things, I mean, it's going to bite you in the butt, whether it doesn't that first try, but it will. So I just didn't like that. And I was like, there's got to be a more professional, better way to do this. And so for me, Again, apartments was doing the same thing, but doing something that for the most part ish, but you know, when you go for a large apartment, there are systems, there are people, staff, property managers that help you to be able to delegate, give a job to somebody, let them do their thing. And then I focus on bringing in more acquisitions and money. What were you doing before real estate and what got you into real estate to, to begin with? Uh, before real estate or directly before, I had a business called The Millionaire's Assistant. And what it was, was working as a essentially a house manager for wealthy people. So uh, someone that was a concierge service. So you'd work with people and I would contract out for half a day or a full day. Uh, we'd do a certain retainer service. So monthly, however many hours they felt they needed to you know, make sure that all the schedules were all aligned, all the bills were paid, um, all their vacations were scheduled, all the cars were serviced, all of their properties um, had the lawn care done whatever it is that they needed to put systems in place. Again, that's what I like. So I'd get in there and figure out a way to bring in this person, build that out, whatever, and then work myself out of a job with some people because like they no longer needed me except for to come visit every once in a while. And at that point, it's not really worth the fee you know, if I'm not like working. But some clients where I get to the point where they have... I, I was never a cleaner or a maid. I would bring those people in 
But there were times where I do stuff where if you look at your time spent, I was maxing out my time and you're a cell phone business or a sole proprietor. So, you know, cool, you have your own business, but I was getting not burnt out, but just too full and I couldn't grow. And so I don't have a business degree. And my buddy, Michael actually was helping me replace a battery one day in my car. And he goes, your concept is a great idea. If your logo is really cool, your branding is awesome. You really get it, you know, but you need to scale what you're doing. And so to scale, you need people and systems and advertising and all that stuff to do it times five or times 10 or whatnot. Otherwise you won't grow. You're going to get tired and burnt out and then quit. So he goes, why don't you get into real estate, sell like four or five houses a year, use those funds to fund that business. And I was like, ding, like light bulb. So that's how I got interested in real estate. I really wasn't to tell you the truth because I associated it with like people being really salesy and then some other stuff, but I'm, I'm actually really good at it. So I ended up really, really, really diving in and going hundred percent because I realized how much potential, I mean, literally everything around you is real estate, everything, everything you touch, you know? So, yeah. It, it seems to me like you're kind of an entrepreneur through and through. Yeah, I'm somebody that because of my past, I really can't deal with somebody that wants to make you do things that just don't make sense. You know what I mean? So someone that's like a boss instead of a manager, you know, a good manager would be somebody who, I mean, I'm the ultimate salesperson. I'm somebody that's good with people. I'm autonomous. Um, I'm high energy. I'm positive. Like there's a million other things that I just possess and I can just go do whatever but I'm good at learning. And then again, analyzing like your results and saying, these aren't good enough going back to that person. And how do I improve if they don't want to coach you or teach you or anything like that? I mean, that's the only reason I've ever had issues with jobs is just because my manager didn't want to teach me anything. Uh, They wanted you just to know it all. And that's not always the case. Yeah, but definitely enjoy working for myself just because you never run into that where someone's like, I need you to do this. Like you would be like, go into the office and sit there for five hours, six hours on a Friday and do all of your follow-up from the week. And I'm like, well, actually, I just knock it out at the end of the day while I'm at my house and there's no reason I need to be there or I'd have an appointment with a doctor to go put new office equipment in their office and he'd be like, no, not on Friday. You can't. I'm like, uh, I'd rather sell 300K worth of stuff today than sit at a desk. But just, you know, so didn't get it. But entrepreneurship allows you to be able to make those decisions, you know, on your own. That's right. So you got in real estate being an agent as a, a broker and you were pretty good at it. Now, you did what a lot of agents never do. I, I would say the vast majority, which is they don't transition to be the actual investor. They, they sell stuff all the day, but they never actually invest stuff. Why did you make that transition successfully and maybe some other agents have not? I think you have to get, like you have to want it. You know what I mean? You have to decide in anything that you do, even at the point where but that first business I started, it was really tough to go. I had to ask a bunch of people like, so when do you know you're ready to make that jump from someone paying for you to show up versus hunting everything yourself? Do you have three months of savings? Like, how does this work? And literally every you know, millionaire, billionaire that I talked to was literally like, you just have to do it. You have to decide what you're doing and a hundred percent, thousand percent believe in it and put everything you've got into that. There's, there's no turning back. There's no side hustles. There's no, you just do it, you know? So I had decided that I wanted financial freedom and in the process of, I think still, yeah, I was still an agent. And then uh, in the process of I, I, once a year, I take myself on a trip by myself and I go somewhere overseas And it's really kind of like a place to brain dump and to think about where you're at with your long-term goals and and people that are hanging out with you, are they leeching off of you? Are they helping you? You know, where, where are you really at? Because we get so 
put into a routine here that, you know, I just get stuck, I guess. So I was in Australia at the time and living in a car for two weeks. And so I was driving down the coast from Brisbane, Byron Bay, all the way down to 12 Apostles in Port Arthur. It's like 25 hours to drive down and then 25 back uh, to go through Sydney, Melbourne. I mean, it's a huge, huge place. I had no idea. (laughs) But I did a bunch of audiobooks on that trip. And so one of the audiobooks that I got through was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So that was like that. Just And for a lot of people, it's just, it's that mind shift where you're like, here's how I'm going to do it. I knew I wanted to do my own thing, but I just didn't understand a way to efficiently leverage some kind of business or some kind of something to make that next step. And so, I mean, just real estate and then being you know aware of how much you're spending on taxes. It's about more, more that you keep versus more that you make. All those things just were, were super key. And so then deciding, you know what, I want those four houses and then I want that big red hotel, you know? So how am I going to get there? I have to get into the house first. So 100% deciding that's what I wanted to do. I decided to take all of my commissions and do that. But actually what ended up happening was because it was a commercial loan on, on a house that someone was living in because it's a rental, I was able to put down a lot less than I thought that I had to. So I ended up having some free cash and then continued to be an agent while I was flipping this house and had a couple of deals closed that, you know, anyway, ended up giving me a chunk of change. And then in that time between them, the next year, I realized, okay, I have all this saved up and I want to be in multifamily. So definitely 100% of what's in this account is going into that next deal. So I don't know what kind of size of a deal that can buy or whatever, but I mean, I made it work. So you just have to 100% do it. You know, I, I know that I can always bartend. I know that I used to be an EMT. I've been a dental assistant before. I can learn whatever. And so I knew that if I lost everything, I could stay with a friend for a little bit and figure it out again. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. So you felt worst case scenario, you go back bartending and you'll get through it. And so that's pretty cool because a lot of people are afraid of failure, right? And, you know, for entrepreneurs, the fear is always there, right? But it's it's how you deal with that fear. A lot of people have the fear and they don't take action. It paralyzes them. They say, no, I'm not going down there. And entrepreneurs, crazy people like us, we're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's see where it takes us. Yeah, you can't have fear um, because when you do fail, there's going to be a certain level of progress you've gotten to. I read a ton, you know, and so it's in my field of focus. And then I do a couple of books here and there for me, personal growth wise. And I go to counseling every week. So I do work on myself, but you've had a lot of growth in the process of starting up a business. I'm assuming that you get past year two. That's usually when businesses fail is before year two. But in that time, you've grown a lot. And so you have to take those lessons that you've learned and don't keep repeating them. You can start over, but you're going to essentially start over from like, that point you were already forward. You're not going back. You're not losing everything that you learned. You know, you're just more efficient and wise. So, you know, if you were to fail and start again, it wouldn't be as hard to start up. You know how to, who to call, what to do, you know? Yeah. So it's, talk about a time you failed, Kaylee. <laughs> I can. And then I'm going to say, cause I had to turn it into something. Cause I'm never just like, I failed. Shoot. I'm, I'm defeated. So the, the flipping that house thing, um, it wasn't as, uh, easy as I thought it would be. I thought that you're hiring people to do XYZ and they would just do it, then they get paid, then they leave, then we do 10 more a month and we'd scale. I mean, you know, that's I'm the 30,000 foot view person, so I'm already like way out here, but back it up. Like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way unless they're on my payroll and we have like all my systems put in place and all those things. It really just wasn't going to be scalable like that. When I was doing this, uh, this flip, 
we got to a point where I was expecting between three months and six months worst case to be done with this thing. And so we're getting to month three, month four. And so I'm getting not upset, but I'm getting concerned, you know, because obviously I'm paying every day for the mortgage, the insurance, the bills on the house, everything, uh, your daily hold cost, you know, it's, it's, it's longer than I expected. So I try to be patient with the people and give them, okay, this is what I need you to do this week, this day, you know, this is how it's going to be done and really kind of like ball up. And then I actually had to bring another girlfriend in who does a ton of flips and she is like, by the book. And I knew that because she, she just does good business. So I had her come in and she ended up having to be like, you know what, Kaylee, I'm going to come in and I'm going to pretend like I'm the big boss B and like you work for me and I'm going to tell them what to do. And I'm going to tell them how it's going to be done. I'm going to tell them it's not done by this date. Then it's going to be subtracting, you know, just lessons that you learned. And so that really helped to speed it up a little bit and to really kind of, and I, I separated from that person that was kind of mentoring me on this whole thing. Cause I was like, you have no idea what you're doing. This is not working. This, this is not a system. But I ended up luckily having a friend of mine who was flipping a house like right across the street. And he was like a couple months behind mine. And Jason ended up being like the older brother I've never had. He like came in and helped me hang my microwave and help me like just finish up the extra stuff that I had to finish to get it listed. And so I had a target list price and then I had a bottom list price. And so, you know, as a realtor broker, I know I can pull data and kind of see at what point do I need to take it off the market at what point, you know, so I kind of let it sit for a month and then decrease the price. And I was like, that's kind of like the last decrease I'm going to do. Long story short, I ended up being in negotiations with people to owner finance to them. And uh, there was one gal that we were like really close, but it was just the weirdest thing because what happens is when they want their monthly payment to shrink, that means you need to increase the term. And it was so weird because she's like, I'm not increasing the term. And I'm like, but that's how we're going to get to your smaller. I couldn't communicate it to her. That's how we're going to get to that smaller payment. And she's like, anyway, so it ended up falling apart. And I go, you know what? I just got to rent this thing. I'm done. Like I'm not doing this anymore. So I rented it. And I got really lucky that there was a guy that rents it that um, he is living there for a copper and piping manufacturer. So he moved there for them and they pay 100% of his rent plus pet rent too. So they, they pay his bills. And so it comes to my house here at the same time at the end of the month prior, you know, and it's, it's not a problem. So he, and he's been a super easy renter. I, I put in his lease, all these things like you need to do the lawn care. I've got friends that live in that community and they let me know if the grass gets too high. I text him, he takes care of it. Or I hook him up with the lawn guy if he's out of town. So it's been really easy, but we're getting to the end of that lease, I think in May or June, and I'm going to attempt to owner finance it to him again. And then depending on what's going on with the economy, either keep them in there, owner finance it or sell it, depending on what happens. So you kind of failed because you couldn't, you couldn't sell it the way you wanted to. And so you kind of pivot a little bit, but, but what, what makes you deal with, with fear maybe differently or better than someone else who won't take action? How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, I'm going through a situation right now where there, there is a lot of fear because it's a lot of the unknown and the unknown is out of my control. And that's what's driving me nuts, you know, because I have said, okay, this is what has to be done by this date. And the other deal is like other people are depending on me too. That's really what bothers me is that, you know, I want to do the right thing for everybody involved, you know? And so if, if I let off the gas and let someone else, you know, do what they say they're going to do, what's under our contract to do all this stuff and they don't perform, I've had to, I'm like, at what point do I just step in, fire everybody and then do it myself, you know? So I'm about a week out from that. And if I got to, you know, if I got to move out there, I don't care, like whatever, it, whatever it takes, just because my reputation and uh, whatever is more important to me than, I don't know, being right. So 
I think because of my grit. I think really that's a lot of it. When someone has been through things in their lives, you know, for me, I was abused my entire life by my adopted dad. And so there's a certain part of your psychology when you're growing as a human being, uh, as a young uh, adult, uh, where I was faced with a lot of things that, you know, if I was really letting myself mentally be aware of what was really happening, um, I would have probably committed suicide a long time ago. And so that built an immense amount of grit to go through things and to deal with things that are uncomfortable. They're not fluffy. They're not kosher. They're not, and for a long time too. So I guess I'm that person that like in negotiations, sometimes you'll like, I'm like, we can go back and forth 15, 20 times. I don't care, you know, until someone's happy. But I guess when things get rough and then they get rougher and rougher, I guess I'm that person, the third tier that's still like biting in, going, I'm not done. Like, I'm not giving up. So that's probably uh, where it comes from. I guess a lot of people that do the opposite, they retreat. Where do you think that grit comes from? Do you think grit can be learned or, or acquired? Or do you think some people have and some don't? I think it comes through experiences, like I was saying in my past, you know, so a lot of that was just through situations that obviously I never asked for. Um, I was a kid and I never asked to be put in those places, but sometimes things that are horrible and horrific can be a gift. So while it was what it was now, I have this skill that, you know, only probably, and not even, I mean, someone was texting me or inboxing me the other day and you know, I was like, honestly, I've got some like Navy SEAL friends that have tried to get into this industry that can't even handle it. So I don't really know what it takes, but I think that for sure you've had to go through some adversity for sure. And then overcome that in your past to be able and maybe not overcome it. Cause some of my stuff I've personally overcome it, but as far as like the legal part of it, I'm still dealing with all that because I have no control over that. But as far as dealing with my feelings and my life, I've had to overcome it to be able to move forward, you know, or I retreat and I fail and I slither away. And that's just, I also too have a a really large purpose or a why. Uh, And so that's the other thing that I've discovered a few years ago. And so it also helps add to not just the grit, grit's like a quality. And then this is like an additional, what I get out of bed for every day, you know? And so those two together, it's motivation plus the grit to carry out, you know, what needs to be done. Yeah, I do agree that a certain amount of adversity does result in resilience, maybe, and possibly grit as well. I think some some people have, have it more than others, like just like we all do. But it is encouraging that you say that one can acquire it. And I think adversity is a great teacher in that regard. And I remember before I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I was reading, I started reading all these autobiographies about successful people. And I noticed that the thing that they all have in common was failure, sometimes repeated and sometimes massive and total. And I was like, I've never failed my life, but I, I'm a fairly successful person. I, I was convinced that I was fairly successful until I went out on my own and became an entrepreneur and I started failing massively on a consistent basis. And wow, that was a pretty rapid lesson. And so I think I think agree, adversity is, and it's one of those things where people are afraid of failure, but I think I'm coming with you. I think it's a necessary step for you to become a better entrepreneur, a better business person to go through adversity. So as, as unpleasant as it is at the time, I'm now convinced that it makes you a better person as well. Now you mentioned your other thing, the other factor is your grit through either experience or your innate characteristics that you have, I think that is a, a key trait I see in successful people. And a component of that is your is your why, which is also interesting. What is your driving why? What makes you get out of bed every morning? Yeah, what makes me get out of bed every day is the fact that I get the opportunity to take what happened to me and instead of, I guess, retreating or you know having shame over it or feeling bad about me or whatever, I'm able to then go, you know what? that grit that I have has given me the ability to keep learning. And that's also a learning style too, but keep learning and keep seeking and keep trying to find 
what it was going to help me to create independence. For me, that ended up being real estate. So real estate put me through different parts of it now into multifamily where there's... And then the single family and a few other house notes and things where there's passive cash flow. So the passive cash flow makes it to where I'm not like, I'm not in fear of anything. Anyone, you know, there, there are certain situations where, you know, things could change. Uh, I mean, obviously I didn't have fear in the first place. Like I said, I could start over. But as far as, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, so where am I, where, like a person's working, where am I going to get my money? Where am I going to get my money? How am I going to eat? How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to do stuff? And when you have a certain amount of passive cash flow, like above your expenses, and you keep growing it, you know what I mean? You might lose a few or whatever, but it's still there. So that's my, my goal. But yeah, just being able to show people how I've been able to take away the dependence on other people for a place to live, for a meal, for like emotional support. Like there's certain men that are not good for me, you know, that I don't have to feel bad that I have to, you know, say no. I can just say no and don't, and don't care. I'm like, I'm going home. Don't care. Bye. You know, like I have complete independence and that is like total freedom. And so for me, freedom was something I was chasing for a long time and I've been able to be on my way and it's, I'm, still, I'm still growing that. But um, to be able to teach, especially women, how they can do that, you know, in a very like I did step one, step two, step three, you know, and, and I'll, show, I'll show you the shortcut. Like, don't do this, don't do this, you know, but to be able to help people to create independence. Yeah. So I want to get back to that because that's uh, my mission as well is to create financial freedom with real estate, not in the way that people normally think, which is single family houses, kind of what you're doing. But Ruka, what have you done in, in multifamily? We've kind of talked about your getting started. And I think it's, while we didn't talk too much about multifamily up to this point, it's really important, I think, for people to, he to hear that real estate or multifamily syndication is a form of entrepreneurship. And I don't really care what you've done as an entrepreneur. They all prepare you for where you are today. It's awesome. So what, what have you kind of done in multifamily since getting started? Yeah. So since getting started, I did my first two deals uh, really close to each other. And those ones were one that I found myself and underwrote and just did, did all the things. Found the lenders, raised all the money myself. I had a track record, but it was with somebody else uh, learning from them. So I really had to leverage the fact that like they took me on their properties and showed me how to order things. And again, still that person, I call them now. If I get into a situation like, wait, we didn't cover this. Like, what do I do? Doing those two deals, I learned from that, that uh, it took forever and I didn't close that many. And it's hard. So you really, even though I understood the, the team mentality, I honestly think single family ruined my mind a little bit because you yeah. really have to do everything yourself. But the team mentality in multifamily doesn't just mean like you have an accountant, you have an attorney, you have a property manager, you have your maintenance, like not like that kind of team, but like you're 300, like everybody links arms and then all the things that are going on the team, you all keep in between each other and you trust each other and you make decisions together. And whether that is firing the property manager, these are all vendors, you know, that work for you or, or all of us or whatever. But when it came to doing bigger deals, which is what I wanted, I knew I had to kind of get over myself and partner with other people. So then uh, that's what I did. Then I went and reached out to other people who had helped me a little bit in my original journey. And then they had found some properties that they were going to take on. And you know, I said, well, I've raised this much. It's not, not going to be that great. But I really, I've continued to foster relationships after the fact. Um, and some people couldn't get their IRAs over in time and stuff. So I have people that want to invest. And if this meets my criteria, like I can help you guys. And so they took me on as a general partner. And I really think my potential to raise was probably three times the amount that was raised. But whatever. So that was a, that was a deal that was uh, in South Dallas. And that one has been 
unexpectedly awesome and easy, which is just not how my first two are going. And it's not how another one recently is going up two other ones are pretty easy, but yeah. So each deal you learn something, but sometimes you also get lucky a little bit too. So like that South Dallas deal, we saw it, we had a plan and then we ended up getting to the point where it's going way better than we planned. We really don't even need a property manager. People just want to be on three year long leases. They want to be left alone. They've let us renovate the ones that left to granite. So we've increased the rents $250 more than they were. And we bought it on every unit. Uh, our NOI has tripled in six months now since we bought it. Yeah, it's it's nuts. And again, like people just, it's quiet. They want to be left alone. There's like no crime. So it never works out like that. <laughs> then the next deal was uh, a little bit larger. That was 48 units. And the next deal after that was in Phoenix. Yep. And that was with two other friends of mine who, again, I'm just very grateful for them uh, one of their investors actually reached out to me and said, you guys need to meet up. And I was like, why, why me? And then I was like, quit saying that to yourself, Kaylee, quit belittling yourself. But again, I went to them and I said, again, from this deal, I have people that were left over and this was in Phoenix. So it was a deal that just was like super hot. They let me come in as a general partner and help them raise some money. I mean, it really wasn't, again, that's, that's my biggest annoyance with myself. And I've started over this year going, I need to slow down a little bit, stop and really just like go gangbusters on all the different places that funds are coming from and just focus on that. So that, you know, a person I met a week ago or two weeks ago was like, you know, you have this insecurity right now where you're worried about not bringing in the deal and doing it yourself as the key principle and stuff and getting a tiny sliver of the pie. And you want to be able to, you know, make those decisions again as, as the main principle. And they're like, well, don't you think if you had, you know, $100 million in your bank account that you could control the purse strings and figure out a good deal, you know? And I was like, hopefully, <laughs> you know, I don't know with what I'm seeing out there too. I don't know. But Anyway, a couple of my partners, they're the ones that have been getting access to deals that are not listed or deals that are under market or, you know, meeting the criteria, you know, so kind of had to, again, get over myself again and, and start going, what am I really good at? Put my butt in that seat and let them have their, their seats. Each deal you, you learn more. I mean, that's why I love multifamily so much is because I'm a, a lifetime learner. That was my Gallup strength finder style of learning. And so all those, that's the other thing is all those other jobs I've had, I figured it out. And then I was like, now what? Like, you got bored. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, in multifamily, you're constantly learning. Like the market just keeps changing and things keep updating. And so there's things that we're like, Hey, lease that up now. We've got, you know, oil changing and, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of stuff or new technology coming on the market. Uh, and this is even staying in like one class of apartments, you know, or one, one and a half, you know, classes of apartments. People constantly are asking me to do new development. They're constantly asking me to do assisted living. La, 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 la. I have to say no like five, six times a day because I still don't know it all, you know, so I have to focus. But so yeah, taking me about a year. So I, start, I learned for about a year before I felt comfortable enough to put in a letter of intent. And then that closed the next calendar year. It took like two months for the seller to not be ridiculous. And then, and then the next year it was focusing on partnering with other people where I could help in some way in those deals and not have to like own it all. So now at this point, I am general partner in I think 720 or 30 units, something like that. I'd have to go add them up. But you know, my goal was to hit about a thousand units. And then now I realized that... Um, I don't care about units anymore. Like it's not about the number. Luckily, these deals that we've done, again, those deals met the criteria. So cool for everybody. But when I'm searching now, yeah, it's it's more about like how much meat's on the bone, the neighborhood, like the reputation of the place, like going in the community and figuring out like what other people think right now, stuff like that. So 
I love that. It, it seems to me like you like to be boss, Kaylee, and you're being kind of a junior partner in these deals, but you will be boss. Uh, it just takes time. And, and I think you're humble enough to, to realize that, hey, if I can be a junior partner and borrow someone's track record to get into a deal, and that's great. And that's great advice for everyone watching, listening to this stuff is just become a junior partner. You raise some capital. Maybe you can find a deal. You can underwrite for someone else and get into the game. And everyone who starts this way ends up being their own boss at one point. They end up sourcing their own deals, right? It doesn't matter which way you come in. You kind of all end up in the same place. So it's only a matter of time before you end up in the same place as well. Now, I'm curious about something, actually, because you said it earlier, and I don't see a lot of women in this business. Right. I, I don't know about now. I see plenty of, 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 of women, real estate agents, but I see very, very few uh, multifamily syndicators in that space. Do you have a theory of why that is? Well, you know, I don't know why. Well, I have a couple of things. So in investing. So I guess really from the perspective of whether you are the investor or you're investing. So whether you're leading as the investor or you're investing in the deal as like limited partner, you still have to understand what you're doing. So a recent study, I think it was the end of 2019 by Merrill Lynch Bank, uh, they produced a study where 61% of the women that were surveyed did not feel comfortable investing in real estate or investing period uh, because they didn't feel or they cited not enough knowledge. So that's something, and I would actually add to that and say that 70% of women probably aren't comfortable because of the knowledge, but also the mindset that comes with the responsibility that you have when you're placing large amounts of capital in someone else's hands or when you're making these decisions on your own. It's, it's, it's a big, heavy load to carry. So you really have to know who you are, know what you want, believe in yourself, love yourself, and kind of be at that place where you can you know do the right thing for the team, for example. Like for me, being humble, that was something that I don't think I'm... I don't know the opposite of unhumble or whatever. I don't think I'm that, but I want to stay in that lane. So I surround myself with people like that. And then also in the commercial real estate world, it has just been in, in Texas, it's been a, a good old boys club for a long time. And even now, you know, um, when I go places or, you know, give them my card or something, I would say men that are like 45 to like in their 60s, they probably are looking at me like, oh, she's cute. And then they always ask me, are you an agent? Are you a broker? Are you an insurance agent? Everything else but principal. And I'm like, mm -mm, nope. Nope. And I just kind of keep my mouth shut until they figure it out. But when I hand them my card, I have a really cool logo that I put together. It's really unique. And like almost every time-ish, especially in like Houston, they'll like cross their arms. They're like, oh, so uh, the apartment queen, huh? You know, and that's the reaction I get. I go, yeah, that's the name of my company. And everybody in my company for the most part is a woman. And uh, they're all queens, you know? So I have just a bigger purpose behind the name than just a cutesy name, you know? Some other women that I know, depending on where they're at in their life stage, they would get super intimidated by just that interaction alone. You know, and I, like I said, I just, I've worked on myself enough. I believe in myself. I know my abilities to where it just doesn't bother me. It's just, and actually every time someone challenges a thought that I have, like for example, I wanted to open a fund just for women. I may now not do a fund because I can only take accredited individuals and I, I'd want to help a lot more people. So more of like a reggae or a crowdfunding when that changes third quarter this year, uh, more of something like that where it could help more people, but just women only, you know, and even my buddy who's kind of my mentor brother, you know, he was like, but what if I want to invest? I'm a man. And I'm like, well, guess what? You have a wife, you have girl daughters, you have cousins that are women, teach them how to invest and invest on their behalf. And absolutely be in the fund. And so it's just the initiative that means so much to me. But the more you get challenged on those kinds of things, it's the more that it's weird and it's different. And it's someone's like, 
they're, they're challenging you because it's just odd to them. It's not the average or normal thing to do. And the more I hear that it's like odd to people, the more I like it because say if I have like 10 of these ideas, you know, three of them might be like total bombs and suck, but then the rest of them, I might change the world, you know? So really that's, that's what I'm here to do. So I don't mind the intimidation, but to go back to your question, um, I think it's the, the lack of knowledge. My father used to trade stocks and he would literally put himself in his office, lock the door and shut it. And then I'm like, Hey, you know, he never taught me the risks of it or what he did it or how to do it, any of that kind of stuff. And it would have been a simple like conversation or two, you know, and I just would rather have more uh, men that are out there be able to have their, you know, their spouse or whoever that's a woman in their life be comfortable with it, you know, so give them that knowledge that they have. And so that's, that's my purpose and my why to give that knowledge to create independence, you know, so I don't think that the information is not out there. But depending on where you grew up and your family and like the kinds of men and what like mom and dad influences that you have, like, where would your curiosity be? Like, are you even going to look into an industry like multifamily or commercial that is very male dominated? Or would you feel like I'm not even going to look in that direction because there's so many men. And for me, something I struggle with, but I have mind shifted. It is no longer a struggle in the beginning was uh, dealing with like single brokers. I'm a single female that constantly want to date me or sleep with me, you know? And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I literally just want to buy your deal and give you 3% or 2% or whatever. Do you not want like money? I don't understand this. And so then, then I like come across, all right, this is all in my head too. Then I'm like, oh, do I come across cold when I then come up and say, here's the boundary. Like, we're not going to do that. Here's something I learned that has gotten rid of that issue for me 100%. It's the reverse belief of beliefs that are holding you back. So for example, like believing that I had to write it down. I was at a conference and it was, what is that negative belief that's holding you back? And it was that every single male broker in, in the multifamily industry will try to sleep with me instead of give me business. And so then I had to flip the opposite and write down, there are single male brokers in my industry who do good business, legitimate business that will give me deals. And, you know, so they're out there. It's just, you know, maybe less, I don't, I don't know. And so having that belief and then telling other people and putting it out there that it actually like magnetism, it brings it to you. And so the people also know that the other end of the spectrum that you don't like, you don't deal with that. That's not okay with you. And so they stay away. So it's a mind shift thing too. So realizing that whatever you want, you can have it, but you got to ask for it. That's a cool little idea. Taking a limited belief, rephrasing it to turn into an affirmation. That's very clever. I love that. All right. So you're having coffee with a with a girlfriend or acquaintance and she wants to do what you do, but she's hesitant. What advice do you give her? I just came from lunch. That's exactly what they were talking about. It's a couple. They do a lot of single family. They're pretty good at it. but uh, And they also have a Jimmy John's uh, franchise. They also have a couple of other things. And the Jimmy John's is not performing uh, or giving them the, the ROI that they should be getting, which would be like 15 to 20%. And it ends up being a business where if you're not doing a certain amount of activity every day, then you cannot get to the 15, 20%. It's not something that self runs. So they're kind of just getting tired of that and then don't want to pay taxes on the earned income from their flipping. And so they, they know that multifamily tax-wise makes sense for them to invest. But again, they're like, we've even done a program. We paid someone a bunch of money and did the whole thing. We learned underwriting. We learned... So the the base of everything is underwriting and then understanding how to vet the... So that was just vetting the deal. So vetting then the market, vetting the sponsors. So those are like the key things that you need to know how to do. And they're at the point where they can vet the market and vet the deal because he's a real numbers person. But then when it comes to vetting the sponsors, I think they're unsure because like his wife is really, 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 really kind. 
extremely kind. And so sometimes she gives me things that I have to tell her, don't like stop. Uh, this has to be reciprocal, you know, like, so we help each other out now. And so when they're asking me about what's next, you know, so what I've done for some people that want to become active and they don't want to just receive mailbox money, which is what they eventually want. I mean, they could do it now really if they wanted to, but they just, it's, it's internal. So I said, you know what, if you'll invest in a deal, what I'll do for you is anything in this Metroplex that I go to on once a monthly basis or so, get in my car and I'll take you out there. And in the first 12 months or so, we're constantly renovating. So whether we're putting in a playset, whether we're repainting, whatever, and just ask questions, you know, how we're sourcing the materials, how much it costs, how many bids we got, what's ridiculous, you know, meet our staff, like, like learn all those things. That's how I learned was being able to go to someone else's property and like learn all that stuff. So I feel like that would help with the confidence because once you see it in real life, you're like, Oh, I get it. You know, I could literally just do this myself, you know? When it comes to somebody who wants more confidence being a limited partner, I think really understanding or a passive investor. So, so that would be a good fit for someone who, for example, has like a full-time job and they wouldn't have the time to do an active deal like that because it's going to take all your time. <laughs> like all your time. You got to do it full-time. But someone that's a limited partner, being able to, again, vet the deal, like the property, vet the sponsors and vet the market, those are super important things. And so one thing that you know I didn't learn by joining a program because I knew that I could learn it on my own. Some people need more of a, a someone leading it to be able to follow it. For me, that actually is super annoying. I'd rather... like I did a bunch of classes on my own. I got a real estate license just being at home, doing it on the computer because I can self-teach. So it just depends on your learning style. But if you don't need someone to like hold your hand through everything, uh, which apparently in that program, they didn't anyway. They just gave them the information. Then basically being able to figure out uh, how to underwrite a deal, like like start there... And some people are just not numbers people is what they say. But like, that makes me nervous like <laughs> because then when I send them the underwriting, they don't know what they're looking at, you know? So having a basic understanding and then I would say having even a deep understanding, like, you know, with them, they're like, can you send me your assumptions that you use? Can you show us like what you plug in for your insurance costs, what you plug in for all the things in that market? I go, yeah, no problem. I have it on a note, you know, in my computer, I don't care. And it changes too. Like if I have someone, like I told them, if you guys have relationships with someone who already owns a deal in that market, hit them up for like a PL or a profit and loss statement, and then look at what they're actually paying for expenses, you know, and that'll give you a pretty good barometer of what you need to put into. And you're just literally plugging in to the spreadsheet, those data points, uh, you'll have to double check yourself on a lot of stuff. But my buddy, Dave Tupin, I mean, he has put out a free analyzer out there online and it is not as robust as like they have a paid version too. But the paid version has videos that walk you through, copy this, paste it, that kind of stuff. So whether you need to go to someone else's program and go through their whole program or whether you need to self-teach and do something like that, I mean, you got to learn the numbers and people that are doing active deals. I, I don't have the time to sit down with somebody and walk them through everything unless they were someone that said, Hey, I have a really good deal and it meets all of our criteria. Then they want to partner with me. I don't mind sitting down and be like, this is how we're going to do all of this, all the whole thing, you know? So yeah, knowledge is, is key. And so um, I'm going to try to flip my camera around. So right there, like this whole shelf right here is all multifamily stuff. And then above it, there's a bunch of like business organizational books, body language, scaling up is a great book. I mean, constantly learning and having pretty solid knowledge is super key to start. That's awesome. That's great. Awesome. Well, you delivered a value bomb here today and especially around mindset, which is so unbelievably important. Uh, Kaylee, how can people connect with you? 
Sure. I love email. So if you want to email me, admin theapartmentqueen.com, please do. I also have a website. You're free to check out our past deals that we've done on our website. Uh, any information about us for the most part is on there. My team, my bio, all that stuff. And then if you guys like uh, podcasts, um, I have a podcast as well. It's called Number One Leading Ladies on uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Whatever you need to hear right now, a lot of the podcast, for example, is about interviewing women who have gotten through a really tough place and then started a business, what it really takes. That's really what my podcast is about. So if that's what you need to hear right now, listen to that. If you know, and then, yeah, so that's how you can get a hold of me. I love it. Kelly, thanks so much for being on the show here today. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. So many lessons in the show. I was trying to write down a little bit, some, some keywords here. Let me recap some of the things that I remember in no particular order, some of the disciplines that she had uh, developed over time. And she mentioned these things by to by, but my gosh, these are really, really important. And I'm listening for some of these things. But the one thing is she talks about taking herself on a retreat for some time. And this is super important. I highly recommend it. I even do a miracle morning every single morning on a smaller scale and do this quarterly and annual. So they're really getting clear on what you want, what you don't want, and having a retreat where you raise your level of self-awareness is absolutely critical. She talked a lot about when she's used the words, I 100% decided. Pay attention to those keywords because this is what you have to do with anything meaningful in your life. You have to 100% decide. And what happens is when you truly 100% decide, there can be no other outcome but that which you already decided. In other words, you can always tell if you decided something by what happens next. Are you naturally taking action? If not, you probably didn't 100% decide something. You thought it'd be a nice idea to, to quit your job or lose weight or whatever the case may be, but you really haven't truly decided that that's what you want and are going to do. So really, really 100% decide in these retreats and these miracle mornings are instrumental in helping you decide and become clear around those things. She's a lifelong learner, as am I. If you look at a lot of successful entrepreneurs, business owners, executives, they are lifelong learners. And one of the things she mentioned at least two times is the, is the book she reads. Okay, so what are you reading right now? Maybe you should start reading books, not the fiction kind, or you know, hours and hours on Netflix or whatever, but actually books that help you become a better person, better entrepreneur, better investor. Um, in fact, I'm reading a book right now I just started called The Entrepreneurial Leap by Genio Wickman, and I love it right now because he boils down the characteristics of uh, entrepreneurs and what it takes to be one. And like I said, I just, I'm two chapters in, just letting you know what I'm reading right now. So go ahead and pick that book up. That's It's, it's going to be good. Failure, the attitude of failure. And again, there's, there's fear out there, and there's always things they're afraid of. Even entrepreneurs and successful people are afraid of something, and it's really what they do with that does, does it, do you let it paralyze you or do you still move ahead despite that fear do not be afraid of failure failure is a stepping stone to success as well now uh, she mentioned grit several times and if i study people who are successful it's to people with grit and they may not be the smartest they may not be the nicest they may not be uh, the most efficient but what they have is they are they do whatever it takes. They're committed to the outcome, as Hal Elrod writes in his book, The Miracle Equation. They're committed to the outcome. The time frame is secondary. It is not as important, whether it takes one month, a year, or 10 years, to the entrepreneur who's committed and has grit. They don't care how long it takes. They will do whatever it takes. And that is a very important lesson to you as well. She mentioned her why. Also super important that you have a why, and the bigger the why is, in other words, if it's more than just about you, the better it is. So first it was about financial freedom, which is super great, but now it's bigger than that. 
Now her mission, as is mine, is to help other people become financially free. She's focusing on women, and that's a super awesome mission. And she now can't fail because if she does, she's going to let down dozens, hundreds, thousands of other people. And that's what keeps driving her as well. She mentioned partnering, and again, I highly recommend you. I know she wants to be the boss, and you probably listening, watching this, want to be the boss as well, and you will be the boss. But until then, you're going to partner with someone who is the boss until, and you can, you can borrow the track record, get into deals, and that is the secret to getting into multifamily and really, really scaling it as well. All right. So she mentioned a couple of things, by the way, an analyzer. If you don't know this, uh, the analyzer that is probably the most popular analyzer for multifamily syndication on the planet is the syndicated deal analyzer. And you can just search for syndicated deal analyzer, just search analyzer, deal analyzer, and it's super, super popular. And also, if you haven't, speaking of good books, and I mentioned other people's books, but I should probably mention my own, which is Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's a bright yellow book. It's on Amazon right now. So pick this up here. Sold many, over 10,000 copies already. Uh, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing is the book for you. And if you yourself are interested in exploring investing with us passively with our investment company called Nighthawk Equity, and you're just curious about that, we have a great report out for you that compares the stock market versus real estate investing. And we look at all kinds of real estate investing, including multifamily syndication. So if you're curious about that and you're and you're thinking to yourself, my gosh, the stock market, hmm, it's not really working for me right now. Is there anything else? Then go download this report. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. If you're ready to invest with us and you want to get onto our investor list and join our investor club, hop on over to nighthawkequity.com and just click the join button. Uh, you'll uh, basically fill out a really short form. You'll schedule a call with us. And then we'll see if investing with, uh, with, with us is, is the right thing to do. And then we can present you with upcoming opportunities. So that's nighthawkequity.com and then click the join button. All right, guys, hope you guys were inspired by that. Don't let anything stop you from financial freedom. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.